Hi, Rabbi Schaefer here, and I'm very excited to tell you that the new book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make, is going to be available this Hanukkah. It's been very, very widely received. We sent out about a thousand pre-publication copies to marriage therapists, people who work with young couples, and the response has been really, truly amazing. Please look for it at the schmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, or your local Jewish bookstore. Okay, the Gemara in Sanhedrin says as follows, Amru of Ribbona Shalom. They said to Hashem, Ma'enosh ki tiskarana, what is man that you should remember him? Now, this is when Hashem is asking the Malachim, should we create man? Before Hashem created man, Hashem created much of the world, including the Malachim, and Hashem asked the Malachim, should we create man? Say the Malachim to Hashem, Ma'enosh tiskarana, what is man that you should remember him? Meaning they said, basically, don't do it. Hashem placed a small finger, allegory, between the Vesarfim and burnt them. Hashem brought a second group, Malachim asked them, should we create man? And they said, no. Hashem brought a second group, should we create man? No. Finally, the third group, the first group who said, we shouldn't create man, what good did it do? All you did was destroy them. The entire world belongs to you. That which you want to do in your world, you should do. So basically, in the end, the Malachim agreed. First, they refused. They were destroyed. Second group were asked, should we create man? They refused. They were destroyed. The third group said, listen, this is not getting us anywhere. The first group didn't do too well. Hashem, do what you want. Okay. Now, here's the obvious question that the Shev Shemites ask on this Gemara. Why did Malachim have a problem with Hashem creating man? What's, what's wrong with Hashem creating man? The purpose of creation is, for us, cre- purpose of creation is Adam. Purpose of creation is for man to be able to grow, to accomplish, to serve Hashem. Why in the world would these Malachim have a problem with that? Why did they say no until again, finally Hashem had to uh, basically force their hand? Because we're not perfect. Okay, that's very nice, but why not create man? Destroy them. Yeah. Right. So the question is, what's wrong with creating man? It sounds like a fine idea. Pen over there? Tissue? That we didn't bring. Pen we have. Paper and pad we have. Right? Meaning, it doesn't sound very, it, it doesn't sound like there's any great problem. Create man. Why not? Hashem says, Should we create man? No, no, don't do it. All right, destroy them. Should we create man? No, don't do it. Finally, the third group said, All right, Hashem, do what you want. Why, it's clear that the Malachim didn't want man to be created, and the question is, why not? Okay, let's assume it's a good question. It's a good question? Good question? It's a good question. Okay, good. So that's a good question. Let's start with another question. I'm Jewish. I have to answer a question with a question. Here's the second question. Okay, ladies, ready? Who's greater in the world to come, you or me? Who's greater? You or me. You or me. Let's do it. Who's greater, you or me? All right, so we're together. Let's assume we're together. Okay, so us versus you, or you or me. Who's, who's greater? Who knows? I'm asking a question. Who's, let's do a cheshman. Let's do a cheshman. I'm sorry? All right, look, let's be honest. We judge all the time. We're always judging. We don't like to admit it. We won't say it, but we're always judging. I'm better than this one. This one's better than me. This one's smarter than me. This one's we're all judging. So let's play, let's play judge. Who's better in the world to come, you or me? So I, I agree with your answer, but I think the question 
begs really understanding, to understand that let's really focus on something that Derech Hashem teaches us, and that's really the, the discussion of this evening. Derech Hashem explains, <clears throat> when Hashem created man, Hashem created us for one single purpose. Hashem is a mative, Hashem is a giver. Hashem wanted to give of His good to man. And to allow for that to happen, Hashem created the entire world and gave us the opportunity to grow and accomplish, to earn our portion in the world to come. And whatever we earn is what we are for eternity. And the purpose of everything in creation, the purpose of everything from the height of the cosmos down to the minutia was for one purpose, to allow man to grow and accomplish, to be challenged. Purpose of creation. Okay, now, here's the problem. How do you challenge man? <clears throat> what is the, uh, the growth? What is the challenge? What's the fight? Where did things start? Okay, so we've discussed before that the first element of the challenge is that Hashem put us into this body. This body that I was placed into has drives, aspirations, has appetites, has various changing fluctuations. It's, it's hard to remember how, how confused we are, but we are in an ever-changing state of ever, and one minute I'm happy, the next minute I'm sad, one minute I'm up, the next minute I'm dad, down, one minute I'm, I'm angry, the next minute I'm jealous, the next minute I'm... We're in this constant changing state. The reason for that is because I, the Neshama, was put into this body. This body is a Nevesha Bahami. And this Nevesha Bahami, this animal soul, has many <clears throat> drives, many pulls, many inclinations that constantly pull it. And if you want to understand that clearly, you just go study any animal in the animal kingdom, and you'll see that Hashem implanted into the animal world all of the instincts necessary for the survival of that species. The dog, the bat, the cow... They each have a nefesh behind them, an animal soul that is imprinted with all of the instincts that are necessary to keep it alive. They even exhibit in what looks like intelligence. They certainly have a brain, a usable brain. They have levels of drives and instincts. So I am placed into this body. His body has all of these instincts and fluctuating drives, and I am this confused individual. Now, the goal is for me to use the, for me to harness the body properly, for me to use those drives in a proper way. If I do that, I grow. <clears throat> if I use them in the opposite way, I allow them to control me, they become stronger, they begin begin vanquishing me, and eventually I become more behemoth, more animal soul. And, but there's an ever a flux, ever a fluctuation between the neshama taking charge or the nefesh bahami taking charge. Okay, that's layer one. Now, that alone was nowhere near enough of a challenge and nowhere near enough of an opportunity for us to become what we're supposed to be for eternity. There's a whole other dimension of the challenge of man. Again, this is the first layer. The first layer is a great challenge to use the drives and appetites properly, to control them, to eat for the proper reason, to engage in using this world for the proper reason. That is what I call layer one. But again, that's nowhere near sufficient to allow man to buy his eternity. Level two is what we call midos. There are good midos and there are bad midos. So for instance, humility is a good character trait. Arrogance is a bad character trait. Um, being, uh, being kind is a good character trait. Being cruel is a bad character trait. You have many, many different traits. There's laziness, there's jealousy, there's patience, there's... Um, there's a whole host of different midos. Now, to allow the challenge of man in those midos, Hashem created different situations. So for instance, 
Let's say Hashem wants to challenge a person whether he's going to use the trait of kindness or cruelty. Hashem had to create life situations to allow a person to choose between one or the other. So Hashem created rich people and poor people. Now the rich person is challenged and the poor person is challenged. The poor person is challenged. Will he be mistopic b'muah? Will he be happy with what Hashem gave him? Will he learn to be satisfied with his lot? That's his challenge. The rich person is challenged. His challenge is, will he be kind or cruel? <clears throat> will he be humble or arrogant? Will he become sucked into the allure, the tinsel of the gold and the glitter, or will he remain grounded? But now both of those people have a challenge. But <clears throat> it's not just poverty and, and wealth. The challenge cuts across many, many different midos in many, many different situations. So the Derech Hashem explains that to allow for a fair test for each person, Hashem gave each person a, let's call it a role to play, a job to play, what he calls the Malchus Derekia. In other words, if you imagine that there are different roles to play, there are butlers and maids, horse grooms, stable boys, soldiers and generals, gardeners and groundkeepers, farmers and mill operators, there's an entire kingdom that has to be operated. And Hashem gives jobs to each person in the kingdom and their job is to fulfill their job. But the reason they're given that job is not because Hashem needs them to operate the mill or needs them to toil the, the, the ground. It's given to them to be the perfect opportunity for them to grow. And the reason they're given that role is strictly the test to see how they accomplish what they do, what they make of themselves. But to understand what that really means, I, I think if we use a little bit of a different... Um, Marshall, I think it'll make it easier to understand this. Um, if you look at the Summer Olympics, there are vastly different types of sports, different types of activities. You have a shot put, the long jump, the sprinter, the swimmer. And if you imagine that each of us were given a different, um, a different sport that we were supposed to compete in. So imagine that the group of us were, be, were to become swimmers. Our job in this world is to be the best swimmer we can be. Now, we're rated by one thing, how well we swim, how well we do these things, and the timing that we, uh, you know, that we either win the gold at or, or don't win the gold at. But that really is a very, very simplistic version of things because in truth, if you realize that even if you have five people around a table, there are five different body types, five different height-length differences. So, for instance, anyone's into swimming as an Olympic sport? So uh, Michael Phelps is the one of the big names in in, uh, in in swimming. He's the only human being who won eight gold medals. But here's the interesting part. He has what they call the perfect physique for swimming. And it's amazing to understand why it's the perfect physique. It's not just that he's six foot four, which allows him for tremendous stride of, of arms. His arm length are six foot seven, meaning his arm's length are much wider than he's tall. He has incredibly flexible ankles. His ankles bend. You see pictures in the water. That he hyperextends his ankles at, at angles that just seem impossible. He's built for swimming. So here's the problem. He has a very clear competitive advantage over a person who's four foot six. And imagine you have a person whose joints are very tight, and you're going to tell me that they're each measured by how fast they swim. Now, obviously, that would not be a very fair comparison. And the simple reality is that while we're each given our job, and again, let's use the muscle of 
whether you're a shot putter or a pole vault, pole vault, pole vaulter, or you're a basketball player, that's your job to play. But you see, you're not just rated by your job. You're given a very specific amount of talent, a very specific build, a very specific amount of ability, and you're judged by one criteria. How well did you do with what you were given? So right away, the scale of measure becomes a little difficult to compare me to you because, again, we're each given a different role. I might be, again, let's assume I'm a weightlifter and you're a swimmer. It's hard for me to compare me to you. But even if we're both swimmers, we were each given different body types and we were each given different, um, different physiques, different capacities, different abilities. And again, each of those are not measured with one objective standard. We're measured subjectively, kifi, my capacity, kifi, what I could do. Okay, so far so bad? One more level to this. I used to pride myself. It was a number of years ago. I'm not going to say how many years ago, but I used to run. And I was very proud of the fact that somewhere in what's called middle age, am I middle age now? Going to be At least. In 10, 10, 20 years I'll be middle age? <laughs> All right, eventually I'll get to that thing called middle age. I was quite proud of the fact that in middle age I was running five miles in something like uh, 37 minutes, somewhere around seven minutes a mile. I was very proud of myself. And, and then I read about a Marine who ran um, five miles in something like 58 minutes. And I said to myself, wait a minute. I'm middle age, and I'm running five miles in 37 minutes, and he's running five miles in 58 minutes. Like, something didn't add up. Until I read the rest of the story, <clears throat> that he was running these five miles with a 55-pound pack on his shoulders. Now, if you know what the marine training is, marine training, the grunts are given packs to run with. The packs weigh anywhere between 55 and 150 pounds. But when you put on this pack, you can't stand up straight because if you, wear, if you have a 50-pound or even a 90-pound pack on your back, if you're going to stand up straight, you'll literally fall backwards. You have to hunch. You have to, it's called humping because you have to literally bend forward. Otherwise, it's going to fall, you're going to fall backwards. To be able to run five miles with 55 pounds on your back is one thing. To be able to run five miles with 150 pounds on your back, and even better, if you run 20 kilometers, which is 12 miles, and you have to do it in a given time, you realize there's a tremendous amount of physical endurance to be gained. So here's the next part of this. Each of us were not just given a different, um, call it a sport, <clears throat> call it an activity. Again, I'm just using that because I think it's an easy way to see. You see, the reason why to me that's a good muscle is because um, all of sports requires a few things. It requires it requires endurance, it requires physical strength, it requires growing in physical strength abilities, and then a very specific ability per se. And I think it's a very, very apt muscle for life because each of us are challenged to grow in the general way as well as the specific activity. But here's the point. Each of us were given different strength, different talent, different abilities. And the next part of this is that each of us were given a different pack to carry. So, for instance, um, some of us had great childhoods. Um, I had what I consider a near, I wouldn't say perfect childhood, but Baruch Hashem, my mother was incredibly supportive. I learned from my mother how I could literally, when I was 18, I could park, I could knock into a parked car and blame the guy, you know, for parking in the wrong spot. Like that's, you know, I had a good, um, so despite the fact that I had some rough moments in life, I, I came out pretty healthy. 
But there are many people who don't have anywhere near that kind of upbringing. Um, there's a fellow who just recently told me that he cannot forgive his father. He's in his mid-40s. He cannot forgive his father because of the abuse that he suffered at his father's hands. It wasn't physical abuse. It was from the time he was six months old, everything he heard from his father was negative, bashing, you're worthless, you're nobody, you'll never amount to anything. You're a, you're the, the amount of, of just negativity and abuse. Now, when you hear that from the time you come of age, let's call it two years of age, three years of age, if all you hear is you're not good enough, you're inadequate, you're, you're never going to amount to anything, it puts a tremendous, tremendous burden on you, and it makes it very, very difficult to function in life. That's a heavy pack. It's a heavy pack to carry, and it's something that um, is, is very difficult to imagine. If you look around people's lives, you'll see that people have very different packs that they carry. Some people have social anxiety. Some people have great emotional distress. Some people have physical issues. Some people have... Anyone have a perfect life? Raise your hand if you have a perfect life. Okay. Do you know anybody who has a perfect life? Okay. So when you find me, the per- person who has a perfect life, I guarantee you don't have a clue to what's going on. And I happen to know firsthand because I get the calls all the time. And all those people have the greatest life, the greatest marriages and the greatest kids and the greatest financial... You, turn, you find out what's really going on and it ain't great at all. And you find out that people have a lot of stuff going on. And the only people who are eternally happy are the people who post on Instagram because they're always happy. And they're so happy and they're so in love until you find out a week later they're divorced. But, you know, when the pictures that they're going to show on the social media, they're always happy and always upbeat and everything's great until you find out what's really going on. The bottom line is each of us carries a different pack. And that pack might be 5 pounds, might be 10 pounds, might be 50 pounds, but each of us have a pack. So here's, here's sort of like the complexity of the situation. Number one, we were each given a different role to play. And you could again, you could think of it as a butler and the maid, or you could think of it the way I like to think of it is in terms of sports. And we're given a different sport to play. But I was given different capacity within that sport to play than you have. So for instance, if you have sons in yeshiva, you know that there's going to be the best guy in the shir, and he's going to be the worst guy in the shear. But here's the problem. It's not fair. Some guys in the shear have a really easy time. They get it immediately. They're able to concentrate. They have no executive functioning problems. They're right there. And some guys have a very tough time concentrating. Some guys don't have a good brain. Their brain doesn't function. So it's really not fair. And again, if the goal was for everyone to be on the same level then it'd be very true, it'd be extremely unfair. But the measure of the person when they've done their job here is not in any objective standard. It's completely subjective, how much talent you had, how much ability you have, how much of you did you become. And again, in the sports muscle, it means how well did you swim, but based on your body type, your capacity. But the next level of the complication is the load that you carried. So for instance, if you had a 50-pound pack or a 100-pound pack or a 10-pound pack, so it would greatly complicate what your capacity was supposed to be, and the measurement of who you are would be very different. Okay, so now let's come back to the question. Who's great in the world to come, you or me? Okay, so let's do the math. I woke up this morning. From the moment I woke up, I did a couple of things. 
I either said Modani or I didn't say Modani. I either said good morning to my wife nicely or I didn't. I said hello to my son politely or I didn't. I made brachas properly or I didn't. From the time you get up in the morning until breakfast, there are at least a hundred or more things that you've already done. Now, there's breakfast and there's lunch, there's meeting people, there's saying things. The average person in one day is going to be involved with literally thousands of decisions, thousands of activities, thousands of things that they will do. So if we were to look at my day today, and we count up the at least 1,000 things that I did right or wrong today, we'd have a calculation, and we'd come up with a number. But the problem is, I didn't just, I wasn't born yesterday. I was not born the day before. <clears throat> you know, if you're living 365 days a year times 1,000, and you live 10 years, that's, <clears throat> before you know it, you're talking about millions and millions and millions of actions. Meaning, if I want to know my madriga, where I'm holding in the world to come, I have to be able to have a very, very, very good computer to count up the millions and millions of actions that I've done from the time I was born, or at least from the time that I came of age till now. That's level one. Level two is the following. Imagine I'm dominating for the Umud in Shul. And this one may be a little difficult to imagine, but imagine I have a good voice. And imagine I'm singing and it sounds beautiful. That action might be a very holy endeavor, it might be serving Hashem. It might be, <clears throat> my kavana might be that the, my voice should carry to be misora people, to get people into it. And it might be very holy. Or it might be a very real attempt for me to make my name well known. I, the singer, I, the great one, I want my voice to carry throughout. Rabbi Shalom explains that there can be thousands of degrees of separation in one act between holy and impure. Meaning, if that act is lishma, and I'm dominating to serve Hashem properly, it can be a very holy act. If I'm doing it completely to serve my name, that my reputation should be out as a singer, it can be very impure. But between those extremes, it can be thousands of degrees of difference. You take an act like giving tzedakah. It could be totally lishma. I'm very deeply concerned for this cause or this person I want to help. Or it could be very much for my self-aggrandizement. I want my name out there as a rich guy, as a, as a macher. And every single action that we're involved in could have thousands of degrees of separation. So you and I can do the same exact act, but the difference between them might be thousands of degrees within the act, depending on your kavana, depending on your intention, depending on who you are, where you are, etc. So now, that's two levels of the complication. But now we come to the third level. The third level is understanding that each of us have a different role to play. If my role to play was a swimmer, and you were to be a weightlifter, and we're both the same muscularity, we both develop the same muscle strength, well, guess what? If you're a weightlifter, you're supposed to be 100 pounds more bulk than I am, and you're supposed to have lifted much more, so we each have our own kind of sport. But within the sport, we each have a very individualized capacity, and I might have been slated to be a great swimmer, I might have been a Michael Phelps, or I might have been, but I'm measuring you feel that. And the fifth level of complication is a load that's on my back. I don't know your load. You don't know my load. So here's the point. point is, if I try to compare me to you in the world to come, um, it is about the most foolish... Um, it, it's about the most foolish thing a human being could ever do because we are so incapable of knowing and it's so beyond our capacity because it's, again, millions and millions of actions. Each action could have thousands of degrees of separation 
my role is vastly different than your role, my capacity is different than your capacity, my load is vastly different than your load, and the ability of one human being to know where the other human being is holding is beyond absurd. But that creates another difficulty to that, and that is how do you know where you're holding? So this is a little bit of a troubling concept because we all hope we're doing well, and certainly any Jew who keeps Shabbos conscious, Tarsim Shabbos, if you stay within the basic framework of an Orthodox Jew, you certainly have a portion of the world to come, but your madrega, where you're going to be, is very, very elusive. And I might say it might even be a little depressing because after all, you know, I clap a lot of al and, you know, if you daven in the Svard, so at least twice a week you say Hashamnu Baganus. Baruch Shem, I'm Ashkenaz, I only say it uh, really Roshani Yom Kippur time, but, uh, but I daven now in, in Nusach Svard, and so twice a week I'm saying Hashamnu Baganu, and when you go through the list of things and you realize there are many, many things, you realize like, hey, maybe this is not so, maybe I'm not doing so great, and a person could get a little depressed. Am I getting you depressed yet? Anybody down? Anybody feeling like really, like, let me quit? There's a reason why I'm trying to do this, because there's a punchline here. <clears throat> The Shev Shemites explains, let's go back to that Gemara that we started with. Why did the Molochim say, I don't want, don't give the Torah, to, don't create man, don't do it. So the Shev Shemites explains that when Hashem created man, it wasn't just that Hashem created man, it was that Hashem took the, as we discussed last week, for those who were with us, every physical component in this world has a spiritual counterpart. And when Hashem created the physical world, Hashem made it dependent on its spiritual counterpart. Every physical entity that exists, the sun, the moon, the stars, has a spiritual counterpart. And the way man uses the physical world greatly impacts the spiritual world. So, if a human being uses this world right, he gives chiyos, he gives strengthening, he gives energy to the spiritual element. That spiritual element gives back strength to the physical world, and everything shines, everything continues. If man misuses the world... He weakens the spiritual dimension. That spiritual dimension, dimension then doesn't have the strength to give the physical energy to the physical world, and it weakens the world. But everything that man does dramatically impacts the physical world because it dramatically impacts the spiritual world, which reflects into the physical world, and everything is dependent on man. Basically, what the Malachim was saying to Hashem was, don't do it. Because what Hashem was saying to the Malachim was, the reason for creation is man and everything in the world is going to be dependent on man. How he uses the world will determine whether the world will flourish or it will become weakened and invigorated, innovated, weakened. Whether the world will become powerful and, and enlightened or become dramatically diminished and, and, and weak. What the Malachim was saying was, don't do it. Don't give man this control, this ability, because it's too dangerous. Hashem destroyed that group, and the second group said the same. The third group said, listen, Hashem, it's your world, do what you want. But the Shev Shemites explained the reason why the Malachim didn't want it is because they understood something that was very, very impactful, and that is that who they are for eternity is based on what we do. You see, we think of ourselves as little people who have little jobs, and, you know, I'm the horse boy, I'm the stable guy, I'm the, I'm the farmer, but we don't understand that the world's upper worlds are dependent on what we do, that we change upper worlds, that there are malachim, groups and groups of malachim, huge, huge groups that are each dependent on what I do and how I use my time. So it is true that I may be very small, 
But for whatever reason, Hashem gave each of us this capacity to be creators of worlds. Um, the expression, Hashem created man in the image of Hashem. What does that mean? What does it mean? I mean, you ever look at a man and say, oh, that's God? What does it mean? Hashem created man, B'Tselem Elohim. Anyone ever wonder that question? What does that mean, B'Tselem Elohim? B'Tselem Elohim. So Nebuchadnezzar explains what that means is, Hashem is the creator and maintainer of everything. Hashem created the world and maintains every particle of physicality. If for a moment in time Hashem would cease infusing energy into any part of the world, it would cease to exist. As Hashem is the creator and maintainer of everything, Hashem made little creators, they're called Adam. Hashem created man and said, this world is dependent on you. If you use the world properly, you're going to give the spiritual world power, it's going to be maintained, it's going to be keep, kept where it is. If you stop infusing energy in it, if you misuse the world, you're going to destroy the upper worlds. Hashem created Adam B'Tselem Al-Kim in the image of Hashem, meaning to say, man is a little creator, he's able to create upper worlds. So what it means in simple language is like this. Um, Deerfield Beach is a, um, a community in Florida. My father, Shalom, lived there many years, and it's a very interesting community because everyone there is on a fixed income. Now, I want you to imagine you go to Deerfield Beach and you have, uh, you have this center over there, and you invite a thousand seniors to come to a meeting. Now, these thousand seniors are all living on a fixed income. They could have millions of dollars in the bank, but they're living on the dividends, and basically, you convince them that uh, you have this business idea, and you want them to take their money and invest it in you, and you're going to pay them the dividends over the next 10 years. Okay. In any case, you convince a 1,000 of these seniors at a big town hall meeting to uh, invest in your business, and you go out, and you work, and you work, and you work, and you come back two years later, and you call together the board meeting, and you say, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to let you know... <coughs> I created a new form of Bitcoin, and your original investment is worth 10 times what it's worth, what it was worth. They're clapping the cheers, wow, because they understand whether they were going to eat cat food for the rest of their life, or they were going to live comfortably and buy bar mitzvah gifts to their grandchildren was based on that money. The Shev Shemites explains that that's what Hashem said to Malachim, your future is based on man, meaning your entire existence, whether you're going to flourish or be weakened, whether you're going to be rich or poor, is based on man's use of the world. The reason why the Malachim didn't want Hashem to create man is because Hashem was creating a dramatic transference. Hashem was saying, you little stable boy, you're going to be the empowerment of the spiritual world, and that's going to either create tremendous energy to the spiritual world or not. And the Malachim were afraid of it. Hashem destroyed the first group, destroyed the second group. Eventually Hashem said, that's it, I'm in charge. And the third group agreed, and that's what Hashem gave us. Um, ladies, do, I know, do you know what I'm talking about? If we understood this, it's like so... It's so powerful. Exactly. My little actions, did I make a bracha with kavana? Who cares? I had kavana, I didn't have kavana, who cares? I said a nice line, I didn't say, Allah Shanhar, big deal. Allah Shanhar, what's so terrible? If we understood the impact... You see, when you come to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and you say, Hashamnu Bagan, what are you saying, Hashamnu? What did I do so terrible? What I, if we understood the gravity of our actions, and you won't understand it in the physical world, because it's true, in the physical world, I did very little things. I'm a stable boy. I'm a, I'm a little person. I dig ditches. What do I, what do, I do? I do nothing. 
But if we understood the spiritual dimension, how everything is dependent on the physical world, and a huge, huge group of malachim, by the way, one of my favorite, um, maybe I have too fanciful imagination, but sometimes I, during Musa Seder, I have my moments when I envision things. And one of my favorite moments of envision is, what's it like when we leave this earth and thousands and thousands and thousands of malachim either cheer or boo. So I'll give you an illustration of what this means. They talk about Super Bowl Sunday. Um, Super Bowl Sunday, when the home team takes the field, the sound of the cheers of the crowd is deafening. It's def- You have 100,000 people. 100,000 people and probably I don't know, 20 million people watching on TV. But they describe that <clears throat> these are trained athletes when the home team takes the field and there's a cheer, it's incredible, and then the opposing team comes on and the boos are just... They describe the first play, anyone who's played in the Super Bowl, the first play, after the first play, they're so physically exhausted because it's so fever-pitched and there's so much hypertension in the air that they're just physically exhausted after one play. So I like to envision what it's like when we leave this earth. And... uh, Imagine for a moment, a hundred thousand malachim cheering, wow, thank you, what you did, you grew, you accomplished, thank you, thank you, wow, wow, wow. Or the opposite, a <laughs> hundred thousand malachim, boo, you wasted your life, you didn't learn, you didn't daven, you didn't serve Hashem, you do a blue, you look at us, look at what we're deformed, we're mangled because of you, that, do I have too vivid imagination? Um, no, it's a very, in other words, and that's the reality of of what of what's going to happen. The problem is we don't realize it here, and because we don't realize it, it's 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 lost to us. All right. So just to recap, really quick. So again, the the reason why the malachim said don't give don't create man was because what Hashem was doing was changing the entire dimension of creation. The entire creation was now going to be dependent on man. And the malachim said, if he does what he's supposed to, great. But if he doesn't then we're dependent on him, and it's risky. The Malachim didn't want it. And the reason why it's hard for us to see it is because we're in this body, and we live in a very physical world, and it's very difficult for us to judge ourselves. Now, again, what the Derech Hashem explains to us is that there are five dimensions to the difficulty of our situation. The first layer is the fact that we're in the body, and the body has its own urges, demands, and and using that properly and not being pulled after it, but using not to serve Hashem. The second layer is that we each have a job. And that job, again, you could use either the sports muscle or the or the um, the, the plow boy, uh, stable boy. But I like the sports muscle because that sport muscle is very, is very good because we're supposed to grow, we're supposed to accomplish. But I was supposed to be a swimmer and you were supposed to be a shot putter. You were supposed to be a weightlifter. That one's supposed to be a basketball player. And you have to do your sport to the best of your ability. But each of us are given different capacities. I might have been supposed to be a basketball player, but I'm only five foot ten, and there's another guy who's six foot ten, and I don't have great jumping, great vertical jump, and he does. So I'm not measured to him. I'm compared to me. The next layer is that we each have our own load um, put on us based on our upbringing, based on our our experiences of life and various things. And again, at the end of the day, it's impossible for me to judge me against you. It's impossible, really, for me to judge me. The the heartening piece of this is that each of our jobs is measured to fee our capacity, and regardless, Hashem wants us to succeed, and the incredible value of any action that we do, 
an incredible change in the spiritual world that we accomplish is probably beyond our understanding and beyond our, our capacity to relate to. All right, now let's, um, that's a wonderful lot of questions, thoughts, observations. And if you have a question, if anyone um, who's here in the, uh, can you raise your hand if you want to ask a question, or you could type it into the Q&A. And people here can also ask live questions. Um, um, okay, I typed in your home, yourhaven.org, and nothing comes up. Um, that's uh, strange. Let me see. I clicked on it. Your home, Y-O-U-R. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's Y-O-U-R-H-O-M-E, Your Haven. Your home, yourhaven.org. Your home, yourhaven.org. And I get the website, Y-O-U-R-H-O-M-E, Y-O-U-R-H-A-V-E-N.org. Your home, yourhaven.org. Um, try it again. In fact, I clicked your link. And it brought me to that page. So um, I'm not sure why. Um, okay, now here's a very interesting comment. I have a perfect life because Rabbi Shepa taught us that Hashem knows and gives us what's best for us. Who said that? No. No, you'd be, right, you'd be close. No, Mrs. Adams. Adams. <laughs> and I'm given the exact role and ability that Hashem has designated for me. But by the way, understanding that, that's exactly the point. You know what my life stinks? My life stinks because I need to be you. I need to be somebody else. I need to be a different thing. I need to be a... I'm a shot putter and I need to be a basketball player. I'm a swimmer and, and, and I, I need to be a, a short distance runner. I, the biggest... Using that same analogy to sports, like, had the athletes on the field, would it be the same concept of, like, the people in the stands of the Malachim? Because really whatever happens on that field is controlling the reactions and the reactions Absolutely. of the people on the field. Exactly. That, that's the most... Right. That's so, like, if they're cheering, if they, you know your team gets a score or you, you get, get a strike, they're going to cheer. If it's a bad call, they're going to boo. But right. your effect on the field ends up affecting exactly. their reactions. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the, the... Like, we don't realize it because we don't, we don't hear the crowds, we don't see the crowds, and it's hard to, to remember. It, it's sort of like... You know why, why it's a perfect muscle? Because... The opposing team. Let's say you're playing. You have the. You, you you don't have the home team advantage. Meaning you're playing on the opposing team's field. You take the field and a hundred thousand people boo. But there are twenty three million people watching this on TV. You don't hear the twenty three million people. You only hear the hundred thousand. So that's why it's very difficult. The home court advantage is in every sport is very real. They show. Statistically, the home team advantage, meaning the home team wins much more games than does the opposing player because the home team advantage is the crowd is rooting for you. But here's the odd part. There are only 100,000 people in the stands. There are 23 million people watching the game, and you know that most of them are rooting for you. But it doesn't matter because when you hear all the boos, it just destroys your... You you lose your motivation, you lose that drive, and just home court advantage is very real. So I think it's a really a perfect muscle because we don't hear the 100,000 malachim cheering. So we get caught up in this world, and I look at myself, who am I, when am I, what am I doing, how much do I mean? What? And because we're, we don't see them watching us on TV, we don't hear the cheering. When my body's put in the ground, I separate, then it's real. They come out and greet me and either cheer or whatever, we'll see, what, you know, hope they're cheering. Um, but that, yes, I think it's a, I think it's a very... Um, I think it's a very good muscle. I, I like it. Yeah. My question is threefold. 
first of all, why is the um, behavior of humans, why does it affect malachim? One. And um, also, when people die, do they become malachim? Two. And then the third one is, if, um, if Hashem was asking them a question, then why should they be punished and destroyed? Three. Good. Excellent. I once had something even worse than that. I once had a, a young woman said, I have five questions on what you said. And she rattled off five questions. I was like, wow. <laughs> okay, so let's deal with one at a time. <clears throat> Why should the malachim be dependent on man? So the, Hashem created everything, everything in creation for us. And everything in creation is dependent on us. Why are they dependent? You know, if you make a good living, your kids have a comfortable life. If you don't make a good living, your kids don't have a comfortable life. Is it fair? I don't know, but that's that's the reality. Um, Hashem made everything in creation dependent on man. Hashem wanted Adam to be a little creator, just like the physical world and the spiritual world, everything is, is maintained by Hashem. So too, Hashem made worlds that are dependent on us. In those worlds are malachim, sarim, all different types of spiritual creations that are dependent on what we do, how we use this world, what we accomplish. Um, is it fair? I don't think it's fair, but it's, but it's, it's reality. All right, so that's one. Two is, um, the third was why they, why were they punished? What was the second one? See, I forgot. You remember it all three. Do you become a malach? Oh, do you become a malach? Yeah. So, you see, you don't become a malach. But let, let's understand what a malach is. The last, I think the last week, um, none of your ladies were here last week. Well, nobody was here last week. Oh, that's true, too. But for those who are here on Zoom, we spent a lot of time um, defining the difference between a malach and, and a human being. And really, it's not as great as you think it is. In other words, me without a body, a total spiritual being, I have thoughts, I have feelings, I have memories. I'm a das nifrat, a separate, I have my own agenda, my own wishes, my own aspirations, um, I'm no longer pulled by the body. And when my body's put in the ground, I no longer have these dramatic conflicts and, and all of this, you know, different things pulling at me and changes, etc. I wake up with an absolute brilliant acuity, completely present, comfortable in my own presence, and fully alert and aware. And I still am the same similar conscious thinking I that I am now, but minus all of the static, all of the conflicts, all of the having the boredom and the, just at peace, but but it's still I, still conscious, still alert, still um, still able to choose. So if you'd like to understand a malach, a malach is what's called a das nifer, a separate, independent intelligence from Hashem. It's not not a part of Hashem. Hashem created it to be independent. It has its own agenda, its own wishes, its own intellect, much like you and I have our own intellect and understanding and wishes, etc., a malach does as well. The key distinction between a malach and you is that a malach is static. Whatever level it was created on, it remains on for eternity. It can do nothing to change it. You can dramatically increase or decrease depending on what you do with your time. And in addition to which, you are independent in the sense that you can determine who you'll be the malachim are dependent on you. And if you rise, they rise up. If you shrink, they shrink with you. So um, you don't become a malach. You become, 
either much, much, much greater than a malach or diminutive, much smaller than a malach, but never, never exactly a malach. So that's two. And three was, oh, three was why Hashem punished them. <laughs> Hashem asked them, <clears throat> so really, I guess, um, because the right answer is Hashem, it's your world, do what you want. And that, that only the third group said that. Meaning, the first group was saying, no, don't do it, it's too risky, we don't want a part of that. And Hashem said, next group, should create man? No. Third group said, Hashem, listen, <laughs> We see this didn't get them too far. Your world... Right. Um, yeah. Again, I'm not sure how literally the Gemara means it to be. Or, I, don't, I don't know. But but that's only the simple simple reading. Sometimes Gemara is not always literal in a sense. Um, okay. Let me see any other questions. Okay, Daniel. First of all, Shalom Daniel. Late at night for you over there. Uh, what time is it? Plus five. Eight. Uh, oh, I don't even know what time it is. I don't know. Okay, Rebbe, is it really true that Mashiach has to come by the year 6,000? If so, where does it say? Okay, it is accepted in Chazal many places that the world was created for 6,000 years. As a matter of fact, the Derech Hashem says it <clears throat> very clearly. Derech Hashem says it, uh, and it's quoted, it's actually, it's a Gemara, uh, that Hashem created the world for 6,000 years. We're up to the year 5,782. Anyone a mathematician around here? How many, how many years we got left? 118. So hopefully, no, no. Too late. Too late. so hopefully, Hashem will bring Mashiach immediately, very quickly, <clears throat> immediately. But the longest it could be is um, a long time, because it's way past our great-great-grandchildren. So let's hope it's much sooner. Um, so the answer is Chazal mentioned a number of places. The Derech Hashem later on uh, <clears throat> quotes where Chazal said, if you want the exact place, send me an email, and believe me, I'll... Uh, I'll tell you that. But again, there are two things that can bring Mashiach. Either Hashem says, in Be'ito, there's a certain time when Mashiach has to come, but at any moment, if the clients will do what we're supposed to do, then at any moment Hashem can bring the Mashiach. And either way, it doesn't mean that Hashem will wait for the 6,000 years. Sometimes, you know, it's pretty clear that there are times when it, Hashem will bring Mashiach simply because things are so so bleak and so despondent that if, if Hashem doesn't bring Mashiach, we're headed, you know, deeply south. And it sure does feel like we're at that point now. Um, okay, <clears throat> what can we do to feel the home court advantage? That's an excellent question. Um, and the answer is nothing. <laughs> this is the problem of being a human being. See, if we, if we really understood the value of our actions... We wouldn't have free will. Could you imagine if I realized there are hundreds of thousands of malachim who are cheering me on, and if I put on film properly, they're like, wow, great, look what you did. And if I say, do it in favor, they're like, oh, what'd you do to us? There would be no free will. The only way that Hashem gave us free will is by shutting off the sound, shutting off the visual. We're in the, we're in the home court of the other team. And all we hear are the boos, and all we hear, we don't hear any cheering, because again, if we had the home court advantage, there wouldn't be any free will. So the answer is there isn't. Now, you learn Derech Hashem, and you get a certain understanding of these things, and you get a certain you know, touch, a feel, you get a certain perspective, and you have to dwell, and you have to think, and you use Musa Seder when you let your imagine, imagination run wild. And by the way, ladies, I don't know if any of you are football fans, but read about Super Bowl Sunday. It's, um, it's an incredible, like the intensity of the moment is just... It's such a powerful... Um, you know how intense Super Bowl Sunday is? Excuse my saying this. Should I say it? 
Oh, that's <laughs> it's true that I'm, uh, my daughter got married, and, and the guys were all in the kitchen watching it on TV. <laughs> that's not the intensity. There's something called what happens is there's a commercial break. <clears throat> During the commercial break, the water pressure in the city goes down dramatically because everyone goes to the bathroom, everyone flushes, and it affects the water pressure in the entire <laughs> city. That's how serious it is because they all. <laughs> That's how serious Super Bowl Sunday is. So it's a, in other words, I think food again. Food is also taken very seriously. Oh, yeah, what? Food? food oh, my goodness. The wow. The game is not as important as the food. I once read how much, like the hundreds of millions of dollars in the snacks and the beer and the, it's a big deal. But again, I think it's a good muscle because that's nothing compared to the tremendous cheering or the opposite that we're going to get in the world to come for what we did because again every Malach who's dependent on me is either going to be powerful and and shine eternally or the opposite so the you know that 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 cheering crowd they're like yeah look what you did you grew you accomplished you started you know so um okay <clears throat> question why did Hashem ask the opinion of Malachim he said he anyway destroyed them if they didn't reply the way he liked that's that was your question um I think we answered it right um Okay, does every person, every human being have a malach counterpart? Does every good deed mitzvah create a malach that watches over that individual? So and the answer is, every person, it's not true that every person has a malach. Every action that we do creates malachim. Every mitzvah that we do creates malachim. And, and there are huge groups of malachim that are empowered or weakened by what we do. Um, it's, it's not true. You know, we have something better than a malach to watch over. We have Hashem that watches over us directly. Um, but in addition to that, there are malachim and, and etc. But again, each each action we do has a tremendous impact. So what's the purpose of these malachim that are created? Um, they also are nenemies of Hashkina. They also enjoy Hashem's presence. Um, and for eternity, they're close to Hashem or far from Hashem based on what we do. And much like we enjoy Hashem's presence for eternity, Based on what we accomplish, they tag along. It's like you have, you know. Again, the, to me, the marshal is. Do they get tar? So, besides cheerleaders, what are they? Not besides cheerleaders. Again, let's take the marshal. So they're there for us. They're there for them, based on you. But do they get tar? So they get to enjoy Hashem's presence based on how spiritual they are, which is based on what you did. They're, they're like imagine, imagine again, if you do well financially, your kids have a comfortable life, and if you have a if you have a bad financial situation, your kids go hungry. That's sort of what it's like to the malachim. If you do well, they tag along and they get to be close to Hashem and enjoy that level of proximity. If you don't do well, then you know again they're the ones who're going to eat cat food for for eternity. Um, good. Okay. Again, your home. Yourhomeyourhaven.org, if you're interested, please look on. If you haven't gotten a chance to get a copy of the 10 Really Dumb Mistakes that very small couples make, please go to theshmooze.com. You get a copy there. I thank you for joining, and hope you'll join us next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.